0: Baseball has changed. The sheer number of formulas and numbers could fill a high school textbook, but it's the player's duty to figure out how to use them. This is a conversation with the game's budding stars about the game they'll soon be the face of. This is Rapid Risers with Jack McMullen and Tommy Weber. Okay, so we're on to episode four. Some stuff is changing in episode four. Tommy, our second pitcher on the pod in as many weeks, but this is the first guy who we don't know from the Cape Cod Baseball League. From a distance, what do you know of Jackson Rutledge? Well, I
1: know he's a big, hard-throwing, right-handed pitcher who took a pretty circuitous route to become the first pick of the Washington Nationals uh, a couple of years back. He certainly started out like a house of fire, went to the University of Arkansas, Uh, had a little bit of an issue with his hip, went to San Jack, which is a very, very prolific junior college, has a great lineage of pitching history, uh, found it there and found his way onto the first round of, uh, of the draft. So, um, one of the things about him though, that I have to say is that he's not the prototypical oversized pitcher and he is oversized. He's six, eight, he's got a lot of moving parts, but an incredibly efficient delivery uh, sort of unique. I don't think that he's going to have the same la- learning curve as most hard-throwing over six-foot-five pitchers have had in the past.
0: Yeah, I actually had the pleasure of watching Jackson start three games for the Auburn Double Days last year. I was out there calling games for the Washington short-season affiliate. Uh, the start that stood out was his third and final start, through 41 pitches in four innings, which is really not what you see from those hard-throwing JUCO right-handed pitchers. 12 up, 12 down, three punch outs at mid to high 90s with the fastball. He's got the goods. Um, What are you excited to talk about with him? Well, I'm really interested in his the route to get there. I think it's unique.
1: Uh, Also, I, I would like to get into his mindset because he strikes me as a guy who doesn't go out there, although he can, and throw the ball through the catcher. He seems to understand about efficiency and getting quick outs and getting his team off the field as quickly as possible. Um, so I, I think, uh, that we're in for a a real treat here.
0: So before we hop in with Jackson, I'll give you my briefing on him. And I feel like I should patent this style of accolade dump because this is my fourth time doing it. But Jackson Rutledge was the 17th overall pick in last year's MLB draft by the world champion, Washington nationals. The selection came after a year logging a sub-1 ERA at San Jacinto College, which is a JUCO in Houston. And he's been tabbed as the best JUCO prospect since Bryce Harper in 2010. uh, And many thought that he had the best pure stuff of anyone in the 2019 draft class. He's got a five-pitch mix, highlighted by a high 90s fastball, that can play in the big leagues right now. And the Nats know that. Washington added him to the 60-man player pool for this 2020 season. So a year out of junior college, he may toe a mound in the nation's capital. I think I forgot to mention, but I know you did, that the dude is 6'8", 250. Uh, So there's that, too. Without further ado, Jackson Rutledge. So Jackson Rutledge, off the top, but thank you so much for taking the time and a huge congrats on being named to the NAT 60-man pool. Uh, no, you're talking to us from D.C. Uh, the player pool and taxi squads, they're a new and foreign concept to pretty much every baseball fan. Uh, would you mind kind of explaining your specific situation in the grand scheme of, of the Nats organization and like kind of what you'll be doing on a day-to-day basis?
2: Uh, so hopefully in the next couple of days we're going to find out some more about what our specific role is. Um, to be honest, at this point, uh, my plan is just to go in and um, kind of go based on what they, they tell me to do at that point. Um, you know, I'm going to uh, get as much work in as I can get as much um, competition as I can try to act like it's a full season. Um, obviously it's not, it's going to be really short and condensed um, with less guys, but you know, I'm going to go out there and, and try to, Um, emulate what it would be
1: like to be in a full season for for the first time. So Jackson, logistically, how's it going to work? Where will you be? Where will you be? You know, when the the big club is home, where are you going to be? And when they're on the road, where are you going to be? Will it be two different places or you'll be housed in one place? Uh, Once the
2: actual season starts, we'll be housed in two different places. They're going to most likely house us in one of the affiliates um, uh, around just to – you know, kind of make space um, especially for that big league season.
0: So with, you know, summer camp and and all that stuff going on, you'll be around Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, Doolittle, I can keep going, but you'll be throwing in the same bullpen as, as those four guys and more in a matter of days. Um, So have you started thinking about maybe what you're going to watch for with a lot of these top flight guys pick their brain when you have the chance to work with a Cy Young winner and and all stars consistently?
2: Definitely. You know, just watching those guys go about their business, I think is going to be um, something that will be interesting uh, for me and I can learn from and and kind of see how they uh, approach bullpens, uh, especially because I know just watching one or two from early in the the first spring training um, from Scherzer and Strasburg, they both kind of go about it a different way. Um, But they both have a a really high intensity and kind of just want to learn um, what their thought process is then and uh, how they prepare, um, you know, for for the actual competition day every fifth day.
1: Jackson, I'm curious if we could backtrack a little bit to, um, you know, out of high school, obviously, you're a a pretty prominent prospect. You know, your, your draft status set you somewhere in the, you know, sixth round or so, according to most reports. You choose to go to Arkansas, then you transfer to San Jack. Other than getting healthy, which obviously is a big piece of it, was there something that happened at San Jack that sort of a light bulb goes off and you realize, you know what? I got this. I'm really ready to take the next step.
2: Uh, I think the biggest thing for me was accountability and uh, kind of freedom. Uh, When I was at San Jack, you know, I was um, able to do what I needed to do and I knew why that I uh, had to do everything that I do did. And, um, so kind of just taking my own program in my own hands, um, taking the day-to-day stuff and really making it my own um, was kind of what made me make the jump. Uh, kind of just taking everything and just getting a little bit better at it uh, as opposed to when I was at Arkansas. It was kind of just, we had to, you know, read the schedule for the day and then go out and do what the coaches say, um, which is how college baseball works for the most part. But um, for me, having, uh, having my own sort of, responsibility for
0: my development um, was very beneficial I kind of want to leapfrog off that because you know you took that path to the draft through juco that tommy and i have talked a lot about previously and, and you suffered a torn hip labrum that was the injury your freshman year at arkansas um, so you hopped over to Sanjak and you committed to kentucky The that's obviously had a different idea for you but You know, you were in pro ball a year sooner than your college draft class. And Tommy and I have constantly said, if you can get paid, the sooner the better. Did did draft positioning uh, come into play at all when you were deciding between maybe hopping to another Division I school, rehabbing at Arkansas, or or going to San Jack? That was an afterthought, honestly. Um, At the
2: time, I was having a really hard um, time deciding whether or not I wanted to leave Arkansas. Obviously, in hindsight, it was the best possible decision I've, I've made in my entire career to this point. Um, it, was, it was certainly not because I wanted to get paid a year earlier. Um, there were a lot of other factors going into that. It just happened to be
1: a, an extra um, little, little bit of a bonus. Jackson, if, um, if you had to scout yourself at this point in your career, how would you assess your makeup, your stuff, your command? What would be the scouting report? jackson would hand in on jackson um i think
2: what a lot of teams do and honestly what i would do myself is um to not be late on fastballs because um, that is predominantly what i'm gonna throw it's you know obviously i'm i'm throwing harder than the average minor leaguer at this point and um once we get to the big leagues that will change a little bit um guys will be used to seeing more velocity and so i'll make adjustments based on that but you know it's it's beyond time for the fastball. Um, there are times where i will be able to throw three sliders in a row um and at that point if i'm a hitting coach you just gotta say okay um cool go to the next guy but um uh, that that, as a hitter that's how i would approach a guy like myself
0: you know i've seen the actual like reports and the write-ups on you and and one of the things that they say about you mechanically is that you don't get as much extension on the mound as some people would expect and i don't I don't know if I see that in terms of your legs, but I do see like a glove hand tighter to your chest than you know the average pitcher. In terms of your mechanics, and I know that you've said that the hip injury actually helped with your hip rotation and your mechanics on that. What are you watching for mechanically? And, and what would you say to the, the extension people um, You know, when you're watching back a bullpen uh, or a start? What are you watching for? The extension thing,
2: I can see what they're trying to get out of it. I do have a short stride, um, which is something I'm not going to change uh, because it's part of what makes me successful. It's where I'm most explosive is in that, that short range of motion. The actual extension metric, if you look at a TrackMan, um, is where it should be. Uh, I'm, I'm not short arming the ball um, or out of the hand. I'm not short short arming the ball, but um, I think from the, the visual aspect, it could look like that. But no, I think mechanically the big cues for me are getting a good scap load, um, making sure you know I'm I'm getting in that good position as every pitcher should, um, and then being able to um, do a good job lead leg blocking and and rotating as as soon as my foot hits, um, being explosive once I get contact with the
1: ground. Jackson, you are not the prototypical over six foot four inch kind of guy. Usually, historically, guys who are close to your height have a long learning curve. They kind of have to catch up to their body, lots of moving parts. Even guys like Randy Johnson had to adjust a little bit. Uh, I don't see that in you. I see a really mature sound uh, delivery. Um, There's not a lot going on there. You actually have the delivery of a, a smaller pitcher, if you will. And I think, personally, that helps you. Have you always been that efficient, or is that something you've tried to work on?
2: Um, it wasn't something specifically that I've tried to work on, but, um, you know, go, going from when I was younger, even in high school or in middle school, um, I would always try to force a long arm swing, and um, because that's just, you know, the general pitching concept when you're that young. is just, right. you know, get you a good arm swing and get on down the mound. Um, so for me, whenever I started to ramp up the intent and be able to see, you know, um, I started using different, you know, plyo uh type stuff with a radar gun behind me and kind of doing different things and making small adjustments where I would see good results um in a more efficient uh arm swing. Um obviously it doesn't look like, you know, the old school Bob Gibson um big swing and that works for those guys. Um, but certainly there are people who um such as myself are more efficient in a shorter um, range of motion
0: in terms of a bullpen you know if you're throwing on an off day or even with your start what programs are you using to kind of look at are you is there a certain number that you're looking at could it be spin rate anything like that or do you just kind of take everything into account uh and and how much do you like to rely on on the tech telling you what's going on versus your own touch and feel in a bullpen
2: as far as bullpens go, especially in season, um, there's a lot of working on sequences, working on execution mostly, uh, unless I see something in the previous game where it's like, all right, my slider got a little bit cuttery. Let's try and get that spin back to where it should be, get the feel back for that again. Um, but most of the time, uh, I'm going to have a guy stand in um, during a midweek bullpen just to get a look, get a feel for, um, you know, kind of just sequences. Uh, working different, um, you know, fastball up, curveball, first strike, whatever it is, or or, or curveball to change up, working back-to-back so I can visualize that for the next outing. Um, I I do take a look at the numbers after just to make sure more of a check rather than a uh, um, working off that during during the bullpen. Um, You know, when I get into compete mode, I don't want to see the analytics of it until after.
1: Jackson, do you – now that we're at this point where – Fingers crossed, there's going to be a season, a shortened season. Uh, You're going to be a part of it in some shape, manner, or form. Are you hearing, have you been told now, uh, or do you just have a feeling that once this season's over, something else is in store for minor league guys, like a November or December, you know, instructs, an added kind of 60-day thing? Are you hearing anything that, you know, you could share with us? That is the hope. Um, nothing is
2: concrete yet, but, um, you know, I think the idea would be sort of an extended instructs uh, to bring guys down to most likely the spring training facility. Uh, we're not quite sure when, uh, whether it would be after the big league season, um, sort of during the winter or, or um, maybe in the next month, but uh, that's the idea that is most likely going to happen if there is something that happens
0: with no pandemic, this would be your first year playing full-season pro ball. And, you know, you, you threw about 80, a little bit over 80 innings last year at San Jack, and then you hop into short-season ball and finish in uh, in full season A. But this would be your full 140 game, and maybe you do get to 162 games at the end of the year. Uh, but, you know, what I saw last year, because we I had the privilege of seeing you in Auburn, um, you took care of your arm and your body like nobody else uh, on that team that I saw come through. So I do want to dive into the arm care because if they do have those November instructs, that kind of gets close to the length of what a full season may be. It's not there yet, but it's closer. So um, you're a guy that had a non-arm injury. So say you start a game on Sunday afternoon. Right. You make your next start on Friday. What are you doing to take care of your arm and your body from Monday to Thursday? Uh, well, the first thing I'm going to do straight after the game is um, kind of what
2: I do is a, is a post-throw routine. Um, a lot of that is force acceptance stuff, um, like using the, the mini trampoline, using a um, uh, shoulder sphere or shoulder tube, um, that sort of thing, and then and going through some mobility and range of motion. Uh, after the game. And then we have a, um, an organizational shoulder care um, routine we go through with some, some Y's and T's and Us, stuff like that, uh, in a, in a full run program. So that'll be the first thing I do. And then, um, you know, throughout the week, um, I personally like to do it right after the game. Um, but having a, a, uh, lifting schedule, um, having my, my day one be that heavy lower day that I like to do after the game, just to kind of build workload. Um, a lot of times that's not possible just because of playing night games and then, uh, You know, I have a a pretty specific throwing schedule that can – it can change week to week, but, you know, including long toss, including spin sessions, throwing sessions
0: throughout.
2: Jackson, how much long toss do you do? Usually I'm a once a week type of long toss, or once every five days uh, is when I would long toss. I don't live by it because I think you can throw 300 feet and have someone cut it off at 90 feet. Um, So it's just – it's an intent builder for me. Um, it is, you know, a way to build intent and build throwing hard, um, because you have to get it to that, you know, 250, 300 feet sort of thing. Um, so I'll do it once a week, usually, uh, the day after that I I throw in a game, um, to sort of get extension and, and have that focus of, um, uh,
0: the end result of getting the ball there. And then, Jackson, last one for me, Uh, what has your throwing schedule looked like since all this hit? But, you know, once spring training shut down, uh, what has, you know, March to June looked like?
2: Yeah, so the the earlier parts of it um, were pretty tough uh, to get a lot of good work in. Uh, We were having to um, kind of sneak on the high school field to throw bullpens and uh, playing catch with my dad a lot and uh, lifting in the basement using uh, 50-pound buckets of concrete. Um, so uh, I got pretty creative at that point, but uh, once everything opened back up, all the gyms opened back up, I was able to get out um, uh, to the gym I go to called P3, um, where I was able to kind of get on a a seven-day schedule as close as I could. It wasn't a five-day, but um, I was able to throw live once a week, uh, continue to throw bullpens, and and get a a -a four-day-a-week type lift in, Um, so I was still productive. It wasn't quite as productive as I could have been um, on a five-day like a normal season, but I was still able to compete Um, You know, see professional hitters, even a few major league hitters and live at bats and and kind of learn from
1: that. Jackson, I have a question. Last question. Uh, If you could wave a magic wand and pick one thing, very specifically one thing about your repertoire that you would like to see the most improvement in, in these next, let's say, six to eight weeks, what would it be? um, Secondary
2: command. Uh, I think, is what I would choose, especially with the changeup. Uh, there were times where um, during the quarantine, I was able to throw it pretty much wherever I wanted to um, and make it a really good pitch. And uh, it was even my best pitch at that point. Um, but, you know, it was a little bit inconsistent, and I'm continuing to work on that. And, uh, you know, if I the slider is pretty easy to execute consistently for me. But um, that, that curveball and changeup combo, I think, can be really good uh, because they're both good pitches and, and can play off my fastball really well. Um, and make that more effective. So, if I could, you know, just be able to get those where I wanted them to more often, um, that would be that would be my goal.
0: Jackson, you were the man. Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: No problem. That's hey, Jackson, happy. I got to tell you one thing. If this uh, if this interview is any indication, uh, you're going to be a big leaguer for a long time to come. You really have what it takes, both physically, mentally, and intellectually. I'm very, very impressed. Best of luck. I appreciate to you. it. Thank you.
0: All right, Tommy, what do you think? Well, you know, it's,
1: it's, I hate to be redundant, but week after week, I, I, I validate my belief that I've had for a long time is that these elite players are elite people. You know, this is a really very bright, very impressive young man, emotionally, intellectually, obviously physically, you know, beyond, uh, impressive. And I'll say this, um, I think he's got a good balanced, mix of the modern and the old you know he takes the technology it's it's there for him he uses it to the degree that it works for him he then you know gets it into his own sort of rituals habits and and makes it work for him and uh i i think that's in this day and age that's refreshing and encouraging
0: to hear from a young pitcher Personally, I loved the mesh that he showed between that old school and new school because you hear all of the, all of the buzzwords with, with programs and, uh, you know, whatever tools he might be using. But he also lifts with, you know, buckets of concrete, which is as old school as you can get. But um, one of the things that kind of stuck out to me that, you know, wasn't uh, succumbing to new tech was that he's not going to change his extension because in all these write-ups right they're all saying that he doesn't extend as much as he should and he smiled when i said that and that's awesome because you know what at the end of the day dude tops at 99 miles an hour and he's got four sick pitches i don't think it matters that much if he can't extend as long as tim lincecum can
1: yeah i i think the greatest i think the biggest problem with tech as religion is players don't invest in the artistic side of the craft. So they really are trying to seduce the machine. They're just trying to please this inanimate object. My my philosophy is this. If I'm 6'8 and I'm throwing 100 miles an hour, now I want to turn into, you know, I want to I watch little guys pitch and pick up what they're capable of doing. Now I'll have both sides of the equation, the massive power and the great nuance and subtlety. Well, that's gonna make you a, you know, potential Hall of Fame pitcher.
0: You mentioned that with him. You said he throws like a guy that, you know, might be 6'2", 6'3", but he's 6'8", 250. So he's got that and he might be the actual definition of a rapid riser. And it's that, you know, it's that marriage of, throwing like that smaller guy and having the big guy stuff. It's like Anthony Davis, right? Anthony Davis was a six two point guard and then he spurts up to six ten. And that's why he's the best player in basketball right now, not named LeBron or Giannis. So um what's your overall takeaway from Jackson Rutledge? I
1: think you're gonna see Jackson in the big leagues in a very short period of time. He just has too much equipment, maturity and I just started looking at videos of him and I was shocked I would never have been able from the videos to tell you that he was six foot eight. I would have thought six, three, six, four, big kid, but six, eight historically six, eight means big learning curve. He has really short circuited the learning curve. He's on his way to the major leagues and you know, God willing, he stays healthy. He is going to have a very, very
0: long outstanding major league career. That was Tommy Weber. I'm Jack McMullen and Jackson Rutledge took some time to talk to us today. We'll talk to you next week. This has been rapid risers.